With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're tuning in to Breakthrough Radio from. This is Michelle Price here, where I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today, where we are celebrating nine years of talking about how to master the internal and external strategies for business. Well, it is the third Monday of the month. That's when you get to hear from myself on leadership at the top of the show in our Breakthrough Tip. Our breakthrough tip is a short tip at the top of the show where you can go take action on that information right now. Then our featured spot today is with the author of Truth at Work, The Science of Delivering Tough Messages, Mark Murphy. He's a returning guest. You guys loved him so much you asked us to bring him back. Our featured interview is a 35-minute conversation that's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. Wrapping up Breakthrough Radio today is our Breakthrough Bite with Yard Akalu with his Leading with Workforce series. The Breakthrough Bite is a 12-minute segment that's not as long as our deep dive interview and not as short as our Breakthrough Tip to meet all the learning styles of our listeners. I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio, and if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You will want to listen without distraction. That's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Now, every week, you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for that episode. That means that any or everything that we talk about that day or today, we will reference two resources. We link to it all right there in that one place. So whether it's how to reach Mark, Yard, or myself, make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us. Do more than follow. Reach out. Truly connect. Ask us a question. Engage us in conversation. And, of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Well, now for our leadership tip here. You know, it wasn't until recently, in the past couple of years, I began to notice that the very thing that was supposed to uh, support us in our growth could also become the thing that trips us up. <laughs> now you're probably saying, Michelle, what are you talking about? Well, simple. You know, who can blame us? Research and influencers in the space of leadership, including myself, have all said, focus on your strengths instead of, now while that's accurate, you're going to gain better results from focusing on your strengths. Something interesting has surfaced that many did not expect. It turns out that we can focus on our strengths too much, and then they become a detriment. So here's an example of how that can play out. A team member is brilliant, let's say, at grasping complex concepts and then putting them quickly into action. What was being missed by this team member is because their strength was so easy for them, they, they oh, let's just say they, their impatience surfaced with other team members who were not able to keep up with them in their pace. Therefore, their team members kind of lost enthusiasm for their project, 
it, it ended up causing unnecessary delays and people weren't delivering their work on time. Why? Because he started roughshodding over everyone for not being able to quickly keep up with what was happening. So giving specific and pointed feedback team member who was going overboard on their strength, he was able to recognize that his strength had just become a detriment in that situation. He had played hardball because it was a no-brainer to him, and it activated pleasure points in his brain, which causes us to behave in ways we might not recognize during the moment, and it certainly happens for him. It is an all-too-common problem. We can see when a team leader is operating out of integrity. We can see when managers uh, uh, easily identify when, let's say, an operational lead gets too demanding with their focus and becomes hypercritical. Because what are operational leads really good at? <laughs> focus. Or even when a colleague who cuts people too much slack and it takes all, the whole team off their timetable. We can easily see these things in others. The hard part is when we need to see them in ourselves. This is the, the leadership tool that divides qualities into strengths and weaknesses, has ignored what it looks like when strengths are overdone. You know, one of our Breakthrough Radio's favorite guests, Sally Hogheads, the creator of Fascinate, calls this double trouble. And if you haven't taken your Fascinate assessment, reach out to me after the radio show. And our opportunity for this incomplete mental model is to remember to watch for what it looks like when your strengths are overdone. How does it show up? I'm going to hold my hand up in authenticity and state for me, because my number one quality is excellence. When that has gone too far, it shows up in an unrealistic expectation of others. My strong will can squash those around me. And I'm sure you can imagine that doesn't lead to the best results when working together as a team. That's why we wanted to talk about when you play hardball with your strengths, how it can kill morale and cause failure in the results your teams are designed to produce. So think about the effect your strengths can have on those around you and watch for when you've crossed that line and leaned on your strengths too hard. Overdoing can be as detrimental as underdoing. I do advise those of you listening today not to think of this as a time to back off from your strengths, but to learn to balance them. So let's don't go from one extreme to the other. You know, having led teams for 20 years, I became a student of human behavior early on, and I've seen how people will use information like this to justify not taking personal responsibility. Shows up like this. They'll say things like, well, why bother? If no matter what I do, we'll either be too strong or not strong enough. You know, that mindset's not going to produce good results. It will cause others to not want to work with you because they don't feel you show up and bring your all to the team, which to them means they're going to have to carry extra weight. So now we can illuminate what happens and shares a couple of ways it can show up when you're going overtime using your strength. Your mission this week is to observe when you see someone else's strengths become a detriment. I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself, when have I done this? By taking this approach, you're going to enhance your ability to see what an overdone strength looks like in others and yourself. You know, this type of curiosity allows you to explore the root of your behavior and to start to discern triggers that can cause you to go into overdrive with your own strength. And what we've learned is this type of change is not easy for many of us. It requires a level of awareness that many are still learning how to activate in themselves. This mindset transition can be difficult. And I don't say that to discourage you, but to remind you when you have to work at it, it's because it's not easy, but it is worth it. If you can, for example, imagine that there's such a thing as being too 
result-oriented, which might lead your lead you to drive your team too hard or too principled. That means you might become preachy and judgmental or intolerant because in that state, you're a poor candidate for change. We want you to enjoy learning and using your strength because we want to help you be an effective and profitable entrepreneur. That means you're in charge of your own personal development. We're here to help lend you support and to show you break the tips that help you reach those levels of performance. Reach out. Let us know what's your current challenge and how you show up as a leader. We'll craft a breakthrough leadership tip for you and trust us. It will help thousands more who have the same challenge. In our last episode, we talked with Don Cooper on how to improve our fourth quarter results in sales. Now a big company that's been a great example of tapping into how they connect with their customers through sales process is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead and be more strategic in how you sell and serve your customers? You know, today's consumer has changed the game of buying no matter what industry you sit. And it's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. And this is exactly what Growth Hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached and asked, can you help us grow our business and our revenue? Growth Hacking CMOs are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision defining what's important to your customers today, and using analytics to see how customers are making their buying decisions is a savvy way to prepare for their future needs and for you to stay relevant. And when you know what's valuable to your customers, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey map saves you time, money, and headaches. It's your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction over your competitors. So connect and discover how growthhackingcmo.com can help you do that in this last quarter for 2017. Now, before we start our featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Join me now as we bring back Mark Murphy on Breakthrough Radio. You know, the last time we talked with him, it was about 100 percenters. Today, we're going to discuss truth at work, the science of delivering tough messages. How are you doing, Mark? It's so wonderful to have you back on Breakthrough Radio today. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me back. I was looking forward to this. Well, you know, I have to tell you, when I saw the title, of your latest book, I was like, oh, my God, his timing is so perfect. <laughs> it, is, it seems to be relevant no matter what industry, no matter what sector of life. <laughs> Delivering tough messages yeah. right now can be difficult. <laughs> it, it is a crazy time uh, when we think about, you know, truth and truth everywhere, at work, at home, and the social, political sphere. It is. It is a. Uh, it is a crazy time to be talking about truth. But I think it's. It's probably the most important time for us to be talking about this. So yeah, it's uh, ended up being more timely than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> In a beautiful and life works out that way. <laughs> I, I know. Really you know, is. Really is. <laughs> one of the things that that I've always found interesting, and and listeners have later tagged us and said, "Man, I'm glad you asked that question because it's not something I think about very often," and that is. You know, you've already produced great bodies of work in the leadership space. What made you decide to tackle truth at work? Was there something that happened that, you know, give give us the backstory. What showed up and said, okay, Mark, you need to do this. Now it's time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting is that I was doing some studies on how comfortable people felt sharing the truth and and talking to not just their employees but to their colleagues and bosses and every time i would do a study or a survey on this it ended up coming out to be like eight nine out of ten people so 80 90 percent of the time managers and colleagues and frontline employees and even senior leaders were saying i just i'm afraid of 
giving tough feedback. And we've known for a long time that people don't love giving tough feedback. But what really kind of hit me was when we would ask them why, what is it about it? Is it, are you just not comfortable? Do you, you know, do you lack the assertiveness? Is it your confidence? And they said, no, it's, it's actually, that's not the thing that scares me. What worries me is I'm afraid of people's reactions. And this was the thing that really prompted the book because we see people's reactions to tough news getting worse and worse. And one of the things that really hit me is one day I was uh, chatting with my wife and she was going through her Facebook feed and she was sharing something about, you know, this uh, somebody had posted something and everybody's heads just exploded. And, you know, instantly there were a thousand comments on one of her friend's things and, and I said, you know, <laughs> did nobody like just stop and breathe for a second? And she said, no, that's not how Facebook works. That's what Facebook wants and what Twitter wants uh, is to get you hopped up and get you responding emotionally. And she's a psychologist, so she was attuned to this, and it hadn't really hit me. And I said, wait a minute. This is – it's almost like social media is making this worse because it's training us to respond quickly and reactively and emotionally. And maybe this is what's part of causing the problems here is that it's managers are afraid of giving feedback because of how people are going to react. And maybe part of the problem is that 10 years ago when people were talking about this issue, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all of that, it wasn't nearly the thing that it is now. And maybe this is why it's gotten worse. And that's really what prompted me to, to pursue this um, topic as, a, as its own book. I had dealt with this topic before in other books, but never as its own book. And that's really what hit me is that maybe that's what's different right now is that this is not 10 years ago. It's not 15 years ago. And yes, we still have to give tough feedback. That's always going to be an issue. But it's how people are reacting is the thing that has fundamentally changed. Well, I'm going to hold my hand up and say I'm a tad jealous that you've got such a subject expert at your uh, your ability to, to get feedback from her as you're writing on these topics because <laughs> there's plenty of times when I'm, I'm, you know, how it is when you're sitting here and you're observing things and you're you're asking really good questions and you're you're just kind of watching how things play out and and even as smart as we all can be we start questioning okay but what do I not understand about this behavior and so I'm a little jealous you've got her to tap into over there. Well, it's it's funny. I was thinking as I was listening to your previous segment on how hard it is to. You know, when you overdo a strength, it's easy to see it in others, how hard it is to see it in yourself. It is it is helpful, um, you know, that I sucked her into marriage. And so I have my, my own sort of personal resource. But every one of us <laughs> needs somebody who can look at you and say, yeah, no. And essentially, you know, give you that, that truth perspective back to you and somebody that you're actually willing to listen to. And that's the, I think, sometimes the tricky part is we can find people that will tell us the truth, whether it's about overdoing a strength, whether it's about something stupid we did at work or what have you. But it's finding that person that when they tell you the truth, they don't instantly make you defensive. That's the thing that, that is the, uh, the, the person we all should have somebody like that, somebody that can tell you the truth, and either they're so good at saying it in a way that doesn't make you defensive, or you're predisposed to want to hear it from them. Um, having that somebody who can hold the mirror up to you is is critically important. Well, you know, one of the things that I let's 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 dig into that because I can see a lot of things that happen in this situation. Some of the things that I've observed is that sometimes people will recognize and see the truth in you, but they offer, oftentimes don't know how to remove their own bias or their own, or, or not to overlay their own feelings and thoughts and opinions on it when they're delivering it to you. 
Therefore, to me, it's muddied truth. It's not clear truth, and that's what tends, I'm just going to hold my hand up and say, that's what tends to make me go, kind of hang on a second, because I'm seeing some some lack of clarity in this conversation. Yes, and that's, you raise, I think, the biggest issue in this. And so one of the things that I created, because that's one of the things we were struggling with, is, you know, the whole, what is truth, right? It's, and this can, we can make this a big, giant, ontological, philosophical question, or we can take kind of a practical look and say, well, the truth as a working definition is basically factual stuff that we can observe, we can see, but what we have to do is, as best we're able, strip out all of those interpretations, judgments, and emotional reactions we, the human brain makes about this stuff. So I created a, what I call the FIRE model. And it essentially, if you imagine a two-by-two grid, in the upper left-hand corner would be the facts, and then right below that would be the interpretations, and then next to that would be the reactions, and then above that would be the ends. And so essentially what happens in a conversation is we start with some facts. Let's say an employee uh, brings me a memo they've just written, and in this memo are a couple of typos. Now, I look at this, and I, those are the facts. There are two typos in this report. Simple enough. The problem is that the human brain generally does not look at those two typos and say, my, isn't that interesting? I've notated two typos here. Hmm, what a curiosity. No, the, the <laughs> human brain instantly makes an interpretation. So I might look at those typos and say, son of a you know, how many times do I have to say this? This person does not listen to a darn thing I say. They are sloppy and they do not check their work. <laughs> and none of that is, is factual as far as we know. What we know is that there are two typos, but the interpretations we make are all of this bad stuff. They don't pay attention. They're not listening to me, et cetera. And then based on that interpretation, we have an emotional reaction. My emotional reaction might be that I'm angry and I'm irritated. I feel betrayed. And then based on that, my end is that maybe I say I want to proofread everything going forward for the next three months until I make sure that they fix this. And so all of a sudden, we've gone from two typos and our brain takes this you know, crazy little journey. And all of a sudden, we're at this place where I now want to proofread everything. And it's the, what's interesting is that it's not the facts that cause the problems in difficult conversations. It's the ire. It's the interpretations, reactions, and ends. Because if you focus on the ire, that's pretty much what you're going to get. So if I go to this employee and I say, you know, you didn't listen to a darn thing I said. You're, not, you're sloppy with your work, and I'm getting pretty irritated by all of this. I want to proofread everything going forward. All this person's going to think is, my gosh, what an overblown jerk. He's making mountain out of a molehill. You know, he doesn't trust me. Uh, forget this. I don't need this stinking job. I'm going to go look somewhere else. And ironically, if I had just walked up to this person and said, hey, Bob, um, I found two typos in the memo, and then shut up. If I had said the facts and nothing else, then Bob would have looked at this and said, ugh. Two typos. Oh, let me go fix those immediately. And all of a sudden, by focusing on the facts, without any of the interpretations, without giving my opinion about what this means and what I'm feeling about it, Bob is able to process this in a much safer space because now, presuming whether or not Bob did or didn't listen to me, whether or not I've communicated clearly or haven't, it, it, all of that is irrelevant. All we're talking about is there were two typos. I'm not blaming you for the two typos. I, I'm just pointing out that there were two typos, but now I've created a safe space for Bob to look at the typos and say, ah, okay, I'm going to go fix those. And that's one of the most important when you talk about, you know, we have stripping out the judgment. That was one of the first things I discovered in this is that it is exponentially easier for people to process difficult information if we provide it and, and present it in a judgment-free way. 
what have you discovered once people learn about the fire technique? Where do they tend to skin their knee the most in being able to recognize what causes them to be triggered with emotions to be judgmental? It's like it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to be able to implement it. Yes, and that is a a huge, huge point about this. And, you know, it's funny. One of the things that um, I find myself teaching people a lot is you have to actually habitualize, not just thinking about the model, but actually when you're in a tough conversation, pull out a sheet of paper and make just draw a big T in the middle of it, you know, a big cross, a two-by-two grid, and literally just write F-I-R-E around it. And what happens is uh, somebody once asked me, a manager in a training session said, Mark, how do I I make my brain work faster in these difficult conversations? You know, I sometimes feel like (laughs) my brain doesn't work fast enough. How do I make it work faster? And I looked at him and I said, um, you don't. <laughs> Basically, I can't make your brain work faster, but what you can do is you can slow the conversation down. And the way you slow the conversation down is before you ever go give somebody tough feedback, pull out a sheet of paper, write a two-by-two two grid in the middle of it, and write down everything you want to say to them. Write it all. Write it all. You're, you don't pay attention to me. You're a jerk. I'm angry at you. Whatever it is you want to say. Write it all down, but put it into the appropriate squares on this grid. Put it into the right buckets. And then once you've written it all down and you see it all laid out, what you're probably going to see, what most people see, is there might be one or two facts but there are paragraphs worth of interpretations, reactions, and ends. And so once you've written it all down, I want you to pull out another pen in a different color, preferably red, and cross out (laughs) the I and the R and the E. You are not allowed to say any of that. And what you're going to do is you're going to take whatever those one or two facts are, and that's where you're going to begin the conversation. And it's funny, it works the same way if you're getting, if I'm on the receiving end of that person coming into my office and saying, Mark, you know, you messed up on X, Y, Z, and it's like you didn't listen to a darn thing I said. What I want to do is say to this person, okay, wow, this is a lot to take in. Do you mind if I just take some notes? I want to make sure I capture everything you're saying. And every time I do that, I'm just slowing the conversation down a bit. And then while they're talking, I'm just going to put everything into one of these buckets. And again, when I'm reacting to this person, I say, okay, well, listen, I hear you about the typos. Would you be willing to have a conversation with me about those typos? And I'm going to leave all of the interpretations when they said that I'm lazy and I don't pay attention and all of that. I'm just, if that's in one of these other buckets, the I, the R, and the E, I'm going to leave that off to the side because Having that as part of the conversation is unlikely to create any deeper understanding. In fact, that's all it's really going to do is inflame things and make it worse. I call that the Pinot Grigio area. That's the stuff, the I and the R and the E, that's the stuff I can think about later that night when I get home with a glass of Pinot Grigio in my hand. If I need to play this out and ruminate it and, you know, vent a little bit, that's fine. I will have a glass of wine and think about all that. But in the moment at work, the facts are the only thing I can really work on. And if I respond to somebody in a calm, rational, factual way, we're going to start to develop, A, it's going to calm them down, B, it's going to calm me down, and C, we're now going to be able to have an adult-adult conversation about solving some factual problem. So, you know, to your original question, how do you implement this? What is the best technique? The best technique that we found is to literally get in the habit of when you're entering a tough conversation or even when it's being presented to you, pull out a piece of paper Keep a, you know, I'm, I happen to be a big fan of, I, I like fancy little notebooks. So just keep a notebook, splurge, buy yourself a really nice pen or pencil. 
keep it with you. <laughs> and so when somebody raises a tough issue or you have to talk about a tough issue, you can instantly pull it out, draw this little two-by-two two grid, and compose your thoughts before you say something stupid. You know, what I really enjoyed about learning from this answer you gave is you didn't just talk about it from the perspective of the person who needed to go give the feedback. You also talked about it from the perspective of the person who's receiving the feedback because a lot of times no one ever addresses what it's like when you're receiving it. They're wanting to think just as fast as the person who's wanting to give it, and and many times what happens is our brains get a little clouded when we're receiving what is like bullets. (laughs) There's no way you're going to be able to to respond in a way because it's a natural thing our brain does is throw up the defense. Oh, it's, you know, we instantly, and then it's, you know, it's the old lizard brain, right? This is the, uh, this is what we're trained to do for, you know, tens of thousands of years. This is how we're wired. And what we're really doing is when we put in place some of these pauses is we're essentially saying, listen, um, there was a time where split second reactions were important because maybe there was in fact a saber tooth tiger coming to get us. But in the world of work, in this crazy, you know, post-industrial world that we live in now and information technology and all of this great stuff, it's the saber-toothed tiger isn't there right at the moment. And we've got to learn to put a block in and slow our reaction so that we can use the thinkier, the more analytical, the more evolved, more recent parts of our uh, neuroanatomy. And one of these simple, you know, what, what taking a, a simple little pen and paper technique does is it says, I've got to, I've got to put a pause in here. And honestly, it works the same, whether you're at work, whether you're dealing with a spouse, you know, if you come home and your spouse is in a mood for whatever reason, and all of a sudden he or she lays into you, well, <laughs> taking a minute and learning not only the pen and paper technique, but learning the phrase, wow, okay, uh, let me just take a second. Let me, I got to take this all in. This is a lot to process. Um, do you mind if I just pull out a piece of paper? I, I just want to make sure I capture all of this. Getting habitualizing that technique, learning to just say, whew, and, and make that noise. It works really well. And then <laughs> pull out a piece of paper. The reality is that when people give us feedback, uh, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's our boss, whether it's a spouse, whoever, they will almost never give it to us in some regimented, uh, you know, clear thinking kind of way. It's going to be a muddled mess. And so what we've got to do is not only structure it with that F-I-R-E so that we can process it, but here's the subtle thing we're doing. We're actually teaching them how to give better feedback in the future because after they do their blah and they blurt out whatever it is they want to tell us and you didn't do this and it's because you don't care and blah 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 we've written it all down we put it into the buckets and we say okay what i hear you saying is here are the facts now (laughs) what we're subtly doing is saying to them this is the relevant part of the feedback that we really need to talk about. And this is the part that we can actually do some problem solving with. And what we found is that over time, as people are able to make their conversations, both on the receiving and the giving side of this, over time, maybe six, 12 months, what starts to happen is conversations start to calm down because people are creating new habits with each other. And you'll find this, you know, I have people that have worked with me for 10, 15 years and, you know, I can call one of them up, uh, Lynn, the woman who's worked with me for 13 years. Uh, Lynn and I don't need long conversations. We can call each other up and I can say, uh, Lynn, two typos. Oh, okay, great. It's, you can get to this point where it's just such a factual shorthand that, You don't need all of the other stuff. Now, it's, you know, it doesn't happen immediately. It does take six to 12 months to really 
develop that kind of a relationship. But over time, it'll get to the point where you won't need to pull out the piece of paper every single time. I love that factual shorthand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is interesting, though, how because we are living in a time where so much is coming at us, the speed of things coming at us has accelerated just to a ridiculous uh, point that people tend to not recognize that doesn't necessarily mean we have to live at that pace, that we have control, that we have the opportunity to set the pace for that. That's, that's a boundary. And it's it's interesting to me how more people don't have those conversations that slowing things down actually does allow you to make quicker decisions if that's what your goal is um, because you don't end up going off in tangents that are unnecessary. Yes, and that's the that's the thing. You know, it's funny. I I think sometimes about those uh, oh those smoking commercials where the message is it's it's showing like a little a little person who's supposed to represent the cigarette, and he you know comes up and he grabs you by the ear and drags you outside, and the commercial is basically saying, do you want these little cigarettes to have control over your life? And what's interesting is I apply the same thing to the same kind of thinking to like a, a Facebook or Twitter or what have you. Do you want them to control the pace of your life, of your conversations, of your reactions? Or do you want to take some of that control back? Because every single time you respond to Facebook, something irritates you. You read something and you're like, well, who could possibly think that is correct? And no, if you pull out the piece of paper or even say, listen, I'm going to read this in an hour. <laughs> I'm not even going to do this right now. But then when you do come back, think about it analytically, what starts to happen is you're essentially saying, you know what? I'm not going to let social media or the news or my boss or my colleagues control my reactions. I'm going to keep control. You know, people say, well, I don't have control. My boss came in and just uncorked on me. You know, what am I supposed to do? Well, in every single situation in life, there is always something we control. People say, I don't control anything. It's my boss who determines my timelines and everything. Well, you control your reactions. Even if your reactions is the only thing you control, you know, there's some old saying, a uh, person can't drive you crazy if you don't give them the keys. Well, you know, essentially, if you maintain a fairly internal locus of control that I will control, I am going to control how I react to typical feedback, I'm going to control how I react to the news I see and read, I'm going to take back control of my life, all of a sudden, everything gets calmer, and we find ourselves less irritated, less hopped up, because now we've taken that extra step to say, yeah, I am always going to diagnose everything that gets said to me, and, and I'm not going to let myself get caught blindsided. Well, we've only got about six more minutes, but I wanted to bring up two things that I thought were really important chapters in your book. And maybe you can just say a tiny bit about each, and then everyone can go grab a copy and, and take a further deep dive in it. One of is how you talk about perceptions, and then the other is how you share with people. It's about a conversation, not a confrontation. Now, perceptions, I find people use that as an excuse. Well, that's just your perception. And then, you know, it's kind of like throwing a bucket of water on the situation, you know, uh, because now one party is not taking any responsibility in the situation. Um, what made you include that chapter in Truth at Work? You know, it's interesting that, there's the the whole concept of uh, you know understanding your own perception, but also being able to take the perspective of other people. There are 
a lot of conversations that go haywire because we don't really step outside of our own perceptions and try and understand what the other person might be thinking. There was a wonderful study done where people were asked to write about a time where they were treated unfairly by a boss. And then this little essay that they wrote was given to somebody else to read. In one group of people, this outside reader came back and said, you know, I've tried, but I just couldn't understand their perspective. And the other group, the reader came back and said, you know, I tried and I really could put myself in their shoes. And just the, the change of that word, I could versus I couldn't understand, put myself in their shoes, take the perspective. When somebody was told that this other person could put themselves in their shoes, they liked this person 17% more, they felt 59% more empathy towards this person, they were more willing to give them money, it was all sorts of wonderful results. And, and one of the big lessons from this was, when we're having a difficult conversation, making a concerted effort to step outside of our own head, which could be wrong, and even if it's really, really hard, if we're at least able to say to the other person, I am really trying, and I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, that simple act of effort, that a simple attempt, makes the other person now 20%, 50% more receptive to having a difficult conversation with us. And if that's all we get out of it is an extra 20, 30, 50% easier in these conversations, oh, I'll take that all day long. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> well, what have you noticed or, or, or has people had the time to start giving you feedback from reading it and putting it into action? Because I notice sometimes the, the interesting insights come, for example, after the conversations we have on Breakthrough Radio, people will ask me questions, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm like, wow, okay, I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective. Yes. You know, one of the the things that uh, I hear a lot, in addition to the, the fire model concept, is the whole notion of starting conversations versus confrontations. And there was a, a line in the book I put in that, you know, a true conversation is is going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of a 50-50 split between statements and questions. And, you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody, it's not going to be reciprocated diatribe. It's not going to be you make a speech and then I make a speech and then you make a speech and then I make a speech. No, you're going to ask a question. I'm going to come back. I'm going to ask you a question. And that's how a conversation is, is going to look. There are going to be, you know, again, roughly – questions as there are statements. And I put that in the book. Um, I didn't realize just how big an impact that would have, because what I hear a lot back from people is, you know, I started doing counting in a meeting. <laughs> I started counting up the number of questions versus statements we do at work. And then I go through my Facebook feed and I start looking up, you know, how many people ask questions versus just make their speeches. And it's like 99% of my day is just people making speeches. And they're not, in fact, conversations. They're just, you know, the technical term would be reciprocated diatribe. It's, we just are giving little speeches back and forth. And I knew that was an issue, I, but I didn't know how big an issue that was actually going to be and how much that would resonate with people and, and just how big a problem. I didn't know just how big a problem that actually was. So that's, that's one of the kind of major ahas that I've had in the past few months is, you know, this is, is worse than I thought it was, but all the more reason that if we can approach things as I'm not here to make a speech, I, I just want to learn. I want to understand if more people approach the world with that perspective, you know, all of these conversations would get a lot easier. Mark, I'm going to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed reading Truth at Work. And I, one of the things that we learned from listeners about, oh, seven years ago was that read the book, set it down, come back later. Even if it's just to read a page or two or a chapter at a time, 
that we'll get a whole lot more out of it because we've had a chance to like assimilate it, digest it, put a tad of it into practice, and then the next time we actually see another layer of opportunity there. Oh, absolutely. And the more you see it, you know, in real life, there are times I come back and I'll go back through and actually reread it. I wrote it. I'll come back and reread it. Say, oh, you know what? I totally forgot about that. I know I wrote it, <laughs> but I haven't applied that as much in my own life. I should go do that. And uh, it's absolutely helpful. It's just a lot to take in at once. Oh, sorry. I am getting a copy to check. <laughs> this is everyone's nightmare in a life or shit. Sorry about that. So, <laughs> thank you for coming on today. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, it's great fun as always. I, I love our conversations. I'm looking forward to having you back on next year. So thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. Take care. You're, I'm going to let you actually take off with your topic without introducing you so that hopefully I can <laughs> yeah. calm this, this down. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, definitely can, can take uh, over the remaining of my part. Um, w- listeners, hello. This is Yard, and I'm uh, going to continue our talk on my three-part series called uh, Leading Tomorrow's Workforce. And just before I do so, I just have to thank Mark for, you know, his his time and, and sharing his insights. Uh, I think our today's colloquial expression w- would uh, refer to your exchange as a real talk. <laughs> so we should uh, maybe bless up the hashtag real talk with uh, with us, our segment today. Uh, but I, but I'm, I'm jazzed to continue, you know, our our, um, our series and a quick recap for our listeners. Uh, last month, I you know highlighted some ways <clears throat> leaders are responding to you know current challenges, disruption about pretty much everything we do at work. And and to be be clear, uh, when when I'm talking about you know disrupting established uh, uh, work cultures, what we're really talking about, uh, Michelle and our listeners, is you know really the values, you know what what the behaviors, the attitudes the everyday interactions uh, of, of workers and people at an organization. And, um, you know, to Mark's point, many of these cultural norms, you know, they're defined on the onset by leadership of that company. So uh, for, for my um, breakthrough bite today, I want to talk about, you know, the different perspective on leadership and not necessarily the, you know, the grandiose uh, vision of, leadership we may, you know, picture in our mind, um, you know, when we're, uh, let's say, thinking of uh, General Patton storming Normandy, you know, I want to talk about the leadership that resides in each and every one of us. And um, so for that point, uh, Michelle, you know, there's this thing that, uh, that says that uh, leaders are born. And, you know, I, every time I hear these, these sayings, you know, I'm always curious as to when did they originate or, or, or how is this? Um, how is this? How did this become just um, such a commonly referred to uh, a statement? Uh, and, and I found out that you know there there is a natural disposition uh, for for some that um, that they're able to capture people's uh, attention at any in any given context. And uh, but I would stand to say that leadership is far from an innate skill. Uh, and I found that there's a study, several studies, but one in particular, uh, leadership by the Leadership Quarterly, that said that uh, leadership is about 24% genetic and a whopping 76% learned activity. So, you know, that's that's kind of like what's right there in front of your face, right? But I'm, I'm always looking at what are the kind of tertiary um, underlining tones um, of of these kind of uh, statistics. And for me, the underlying premise is that even if you're born, you know, quote unquote, ready to lead, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be a successful leader. 
Does that make sense? Um, you know, look, we're, there are many ways to lead, and uh, you can lead a person uh, in your everyday, uh, you know, communications. You can lead informally your team, or you can even lead your company. Uh, and and dare dare I say, maybe even a, a government. <clears throat> Uh, in any context, leadership can be improved, thankfully. Uh, but what we, again, want to focus on is what are the, the qualities uh, of leadership that are inside you that, that want to come out? And I want to talk about that. Uh, and, and, and one uh, that I'm personally inspired uh, by um, recently, who's, uh, you know, to Mark's book, whose leadership IQ has uh, dramatically improved uh, the operations and overall culture of Microsoft. And, uh, you know, that's Satya Nadella. And what I find so interesting about him is his ability to, uh, to, you know, to really kind of be transparent and to be vulnerable in his leadership. Uh, one of the things that he did, for instance, he first came on in 2014 uh, and he gave all of his executives this book uh, by Marshall uh, Rosenberg called Nonviolent Communication. And it's over one million copies sold. Um, I'm, you know, looking at picking it up. I would um, encourage, you know, our listeners to to check it out as well. But it's a book about empathic collaboration. Now, when you look at the stark leadership that, you know, that Microsoft was known from for. Uh, you got uh, Steve Ballmer's, you know, my way or the highway style of leadership. It, it, it seems like what um, Satya has brought in um, is working as Microsoft now has a market value of $250 billion. So quick takeaways for uh, my breakthrough right today, you know, for um, companies, take actionable steps, you know, to becoming, this is for leaders, to become more self-aware. It's probably the most effective way to increase your uh, emotional intelligence and intel, uh, leadership IQ. Now, you know, we've got a, a multitude of self-assessment apps out there to help you better understand your leadership style. And I think that's, the again, you know, the way that you can understand how you're leading and potentially how others are perceiving uh, your leadership. Uh, one, one, one app I'll, I'll throw out there, which I, I find is a fun and easy way to get a quick uh, kind of a quick assessment is called good.co, good.co. Uh, it's an assessment app that helps people identify their professional style uh, to, you know, kind of align a better fit with their current and maybe future uh, employees that they're leading or working with. Uh, now, um, I know, Michelle, you also work with a, you know, a robust assessment tool called Fascinate, right? Um, and, you know, encourage our listeners to also uh, look into that. But the, the takeaway here, again, is for leadership to take a step back, self-assess, so you can better understand how you can motivate your team. And now for, uh, for employees, you know, whether they be full-time um, you know, freelancers, uh, consultants, your, your specific title doesn't define your true leadership potential. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of this opinion, like titles, degrees, uh, you know, I call them logos on your resumes. All of that today uh, is being totally redefined uh, uh, in, of its worth. So what I want to do is I want to push you to look inward and ask yourself, what is it that you can do to gain the experience to lead, regardless if, you know, your title or your roles of responsibilities uh, don't directly uh, hold you accountable uh, for those so-called uh, leadership activities and, and responsibilities? So uh, it's, it's something that you can do every day, you know, to, to, to push yourself it can be, you know, volunteering to lead a company event, um, or it could be giving, you know, your manager what she or uh, he asks for in a deliverable, but then going above and beyond and, 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 and helping them recognize that you're thinking, you know, strategically about your role and uh, the team's needs. 
So it's all about positioning yourself for that opportunity, you know, to, to demonstrate your leadership. So the next time you're in a meeting and, you know, you think your opinion won't matter uh, and, and you're, you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, why, why, why say anything? I'm going to put you on the hook, listeners. I want you to think of Michelle and I watching you in that meeting with a big question mark as t- on our face as to why you're not speaking up. And it's the it's the best experiment that by putting <laughs> by putting it out there in the universe, I bet you you'll it will motivate you to speak up next time. <laughs> and even if it doesn't, uh, uh, like even if they don't implement your advice per se, what you're doing is you're building the foundation for a leadership role because you matter, and your voice will now have been heard. So. That's my breakthrough bite for today, uh, uh, you know, defining the leadership within you. I'm going to wrap up my three-part series uh, next, next month. But really, as always, my motivation in this show is to equip our listeners uh, with a, a new mindset for how they approach their uh, careers and eventually life, right? Uh, because work and life continues to merge. So I'll, I'll send um, – a teaser for I'm, I'm thinking about two topic areas for my close um, closing of the series. And uh, we'll certainly share more on our framing post uh, for, for next month's show. That sounds perfect. Yard. Thank you. Thank you for being able to shift gears real quickly and just kind of introduce yourself today. I greatly appreciate yeah. it. And I can't wait to hear no. what you're going to teach us next month. Yes, yes, and glad you got your your voice back with uh, <laughs> with uh, you know that that's like cough. I I, I have a, a glass of water here at all times just just in the event of that. So uh, oh, I've yeah. been doing that. Trust me. But <laughs> well, let me go ahead and share with everybody a little bit about um, startup grind since we missed that piece, and I look Sounds forward good. to seeing you Wednesday at ours. Yes, yes. Thanks so much, Michelle. So I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what is happening in your city or country with Startup Grind because you're going to find a group of enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors who are looking to create profitable businesses and to affect positive change for the world, kind of like Yard and myself. This coming week, if you happen to be in Houston, Wednesday, October 18th, we're going to dive into how to identify and connect with global communities to build a sustainable business ecosystem. We're going to be learning about Bancor, an Israeli startup that gives you, no matter where you live and no matter who you want to collaborate with, the ability to exchange monetary resources with ease. So what is happening in your city with the grind? Make sure you go and find out. Ah, just love it when we do that. So I do want to remind you, your feedback is important to the entire team here on Breakthrough Radio because our intention is to bring you guests each week that in – expand your knowledge as well as inspire your actions to grow your business. And we get it. To accomplish that, it benefits all of us to hear what you liked, what you didn't like, which topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about. And, of course, kind of like we did with Mark today, who you want us to bring back, who you want us to bring on we haven't had on yet. You can email us those requests at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Again, that's the breakthrough specialist at gmail.com. I want to thank you for visiting and checking out additional episodes on Breakthrough Radio at www.thebreakthroughradio.com. So go grab yourself a copy of Truth at Work. Start putting it into action. Use that fire technique. It is so on point. And tell us, who else would you like to hear and learn from? This is Michelle Price here with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers.
into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.